you're listening to the Google Ads Podcast, brought to you by Solutions 8, the Google Ads Agency. There's a game that people play that they do Florida man and then their birthday in Google and they find out what articles pull up. I've done that. It's crazy because there's not a day you can insert that doesn't end in something crazy. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. I think mine was Florida man gets alligators high by pouring meth down the sewer drain. That's awesome. Looks like Nicole Dorn just joined as a member. Thank you, Nicole. Grateful to you. Shout up our new members, shall we? While we're waiting for questions to roll in. Normally we get here and there's like a thousand questions. Ryan Huron's here. What's up, Ryan? Thanks for being here, buddy. John's playing Digital Nomad, just so you all know. That's why he's in Florida. I'm going to be here for the next two weeks. How are you liking it? It is muggy. It's raining every day this week. So we came in the wrong day. We've lost 31 members. No, I just lied to you. Those are members that we gained. That's just down by 11%. Oh, I was like, man, no one loves us anymore. Yeah, I was about to say, I just had a little mini heart attack. So shouting out our new members, Nicole Dorn, NXNW, Jeffrey Scofani, Gustav Jacobson, Brian Haas, and John Hodge, and Leslie Dreschler. Thanks for being here, y'all. Thanks for joining us. This is awesome. Ryan says, I'm an actual real-life Florida man. That's so funny. <laughs> You're scared of those Florida mans. Yep. A Facebook user says, faces of Google Ads gods. Thank you, Facebook user. Yeah. Sorry, if you're on <laughs> Facebook, we can't tell who you are because the integration with Restream sucks. Yeah. Integration with Facebook just sucks as general. Yeah. While we're waiting for questions, dude, I wanted to ask you, it's unbelievable to me how much of Google's display traffic is fraudulent traffic. Bots, click forms, et cetera. I know we have the long form advice that we're offering to people with lead gen, but beyond that, and the reason I'm asking this is because Ralph Burns brought it up to me yesterday. We were doing a, an episode of perpetual traffic and he's like, dude, we have a 15 field form and we're still getting click form submissions. Yeah. So if you got the long ass form already and that's still not working, what do you do? The one way you can do it, and some clients need to do this, but it only works if you do have high amount of traffic, is you actually only use the quality of leads as your conversion. So one of the clients that we're working with is sending us a daily report and it's three to five leads a day of quality leads that we're converting from lead to opportunity when they had a conversation with them and it was quality. We got to wait till we, of course, hit our hundred user minimum, but to like start to enable that audience. But one thing that I would say is actually important is upload your GCLID of good quality conversion actions daily. And you're going to see if you have like one or two leads that come through, let's say there's five spam, there's two good, you count those two, you don't count those other three that are spam. So and you don't actually have a conversion event created when somebody fills out a form, you turn that off. Instead, you upload conversions and that becomes your conversion event based off of GCLID. So it's all offline conversion tracking. Exactly. It's all import from clicks, offline conversion tracking. Correct. I have and an idea. It's a big bit of a pain, but it's what you have to do now in today's day and age. So let me see if my camera's all fuzzy. If and where possible, what if you created a fly trap? So we're doing some real estate investing leads right now. And let's say we have a, a long form for somebody who's looking to sell a large piece of real estate. And what I've noticed with a lot of the click farm traffic is they're just selecting the very first option in the drop down, especially if it's pre-selected. Mm -hmm. So you create a drop down or maybe two where the first option is something that real traffic would never actually select leave that enabled. And so if somebody really converts and they're going through and being conscientious about how they're filling out the forms, they're going to select the real option. But if it's left on the default, you know, go to thank you page A, so it's not counted as a conversion. Yeah. And I was even the other part too, that you can do is only take, if we have a three step, the people that finish the third step, mm -hmm. so it'll be like first step is X, second step is X, third step is X, but you don't actually say what step they're on. So the people that are in the click farms aren't knowing when they're reaching the end, but it's three or four questions on each page and then three or four pages. And then the Facebook user right now, sorry, I don't have your name here. It just says, is offline conversion action scale below. Yes. 
it actually is more scalable because what you're doing is you're only showing Google what audiences are converting and it will scale well. I did this with another client that we just imported. We counted all the conversion actions and then we had added an additional conversion action called quality lead. And we still counted when it was original form. Now this is on a five-step form though. So all of our leads, they're at 40% show rate in performance max, which means that these people are contacted at 40% rate of, oh, hi, yes, I fill out the form and I'm interested. So it's really high quality leads. But the ones that go to close, we started adding those in. And we actually made all of our campaigns. We have 11 campaigns running right now. And all of those have been getting better and better and better because of the lead quality form. And we actually saw that we can now just remove our TCPA and remove our TROAS because we were given a lead value to those leads, depending upon which actions they fill out. We actually were able to increase the ceiling because we were able to become less restrictive and start dumping in more and more cash into the accounts because we knew that the quality was there. So we didn't have to say, well, we get 30 conversions, but half of them are junk. So what our target CPA has to be 60. It was actually a lot easier to scale. Ready for questions? Let's do it. Arms of Andes, any information related to PMAX and fashion brands would be great. It's hard because it's subjective. But the fashion brands, a lot of times what will happen too is you have cyclical natures of what is in stock and out of stock and what's in fashion, not fashion. The reason why fashion brands work online is everything that Google is trying not to be, which is the audience-based followers one click purchase because this is something that is hitting a good audience right now google's trying to say what's the skew and what's the search traffic before well you have a new release and a limited run of five items which is a lot of times what fashion brands do is saying hey i have these you know 40 addresses once they're gone well google finally learns how to actually sell those and then says whoop now it's gone go find it again it always like it, it's in a constant ramp up every single time you take away a product or add a new product so for fashion brands performance max or even google ads may actually not be the best area if you don't have frequently in stock items that are very similar. And as fashion changes, Google Ads learns more and learning more isn't necessarily good. It just means that it's going to take longer to kind of develop this cyclical rate. So where fashion brands do well is when they have very similar items or a theme. So they have sundresses. Okay, the people that always constantly come back and you're going to see that some items sell out really quickly and some never move. We found that if you put those items that never move on a really deep discount, they'll move really quickly because you still have people that are interested, just not at that price. So what you have to understand about fashion brands is that you're working against everything Google is trying to lean into with automation. So it might be good is not even using performance max at all, use a lot of DSA and inbound search that is around the type of products that you have or use performance max in a minority version of the campaign ad spend. So focus on DSA, focus on inbound search, kind of use the ad groups inside of your search campaigns to say if you have one piece bathing suit, two piece bathing suit, hats, whatever it may be. So that people that are really just kind of Googling around and finding that performance max will fill in the gaps and start to help do, do remarketing. But if you're leaning into full automation, just know you're giving yourself the least leverageable capabilities inside of Google Ads. I can't believe you'd say not to use Performance Max. Yeah, we have some brands well with, some brands not. The one fashion brand that gives us a 5X return constantly and scalable is selling fat around a specific band or a group of bands. So it works well for them because if you're a fan of this specific band and they keep coming up with hats and shirts and ties and blazers and pants and belts and that kind of stuff, you're like, cool, cool, cool. I like this. Those are very cyclical. They love that stuff. But if you're just blue dress and then red high heel, it's like, well, crap, Google's going to find a brand new audience every single time. So niche or hyper-specific works better. Audience-based. Mike Griffin, can you explain the difference between expansive bidding strategies and restrictive bidding strategies? Yes, very much, sir. A expansive is left what they call wide open. Maximize conversion value or maximize conversions or even manual CPC with enhanced enabled. What those expansive bidding strategies mean is that they are aggressive. They will not stop and they will not be self-restricted. They're only restricted by how much money you give them per day. A target return on Aspen or a target CPA means that if I will 
append that to an expensive bidding strategy. So go find me as many conversions as possible. If it's under 20 bucks, that's target CPA $20. So it says, okay, I'm going to get as aggressive up into a ceiling. It gets restricted because it's hit that. Okay. If I try to get this user to buy something, I might get them to buy, but it's going to be a 26 and that's going to be over what I'm trying to get. So it restricts. So it goes as aggressive until it hits a wall. And then that's the restricted bidding strategy is adding a target return on ad spend or a target cost per acquisition to a maximized conversion value or a maximized conversion bidding strategy. And when you're adding those restrictions, uh, one of the things that's always been interesting to me is the fact that you limit learning and then B, the fact that I feel like Google's going to start using that against us because it starts to understand where your margins are. And so adding a restriction, even if Google could meet that restriction, if you have two competitors who are willing to pay for the same traffic and they have a less restricted threshold, then Google's just going to go favor those competitors. Right. When you're talking about the restrictive bidding strategy, you're also locking it into a finite audience and finite means limited a figure amount like 12,647 people, an actual amount of people, because what Google has done is you said, okay, Google learned wide open. Just go after anybody you think is possible. And this is, I found 60 of these hundred are good. And then I say, okay, well actually go to target CPA and get only the $20. The 60 I would have converted out of the hundred just became trying to convert 30 out of 35. So it spends a lot less. It spends one third because you're not going after the hundred you're going after the 35, but you start to convert them. Activity dies down a bit in terms of ad spend, but you get a really good result. And then all of a sudden that just starts to decay into where I ran out of people and there's no one else out there that I know will convert. Well, I haven't looked because you told me not to look. Okay, go look. And then boop, you have to go back. So a lot of times you'll have to flip that on and off if you wanted to. My opinion is actually for Performance Max specifically, and now starting to be some other different type of campaigns. Don't leave target CPA or target row as on. I'd actually leave it off as much as possible and then limit the ad spend. Once you pull back an ad spend a little bit, you'll find that it becomes a little bit less aggressive when you find a good even keel. It can run through that same path for a while, or you start to add in a little more ad spend over time and scale up. The reason why Google doesn't know information about these users is because A, could be a short sales cycle or B, something that's a brand new product. If Google only has people that click one time and then purchase, or let's say there's a good example of a person that provides loans for people. If someone says best loans near me and they often just click on the first one and say, okay, cool, convert on a form. Google has no information about these people for target CPA to work because it's like person Google for the first time. Do you think they're going to convert? No, that's the first time they Google and then you miss them. <laughs> so a lot of times you remove that restriction. All of a sudden you're like, wow, this is performing really well because Google's predetermining if it should show an ad to that user. And the predetermination is based off of knowledge that Google knows about them. And if Google doesn't know about them, it performs poorly. Katie Hajek says, Hey guys, curious if you have any recommendations or strategies for brand campaigns when competitors are bidding heavily on our brand terms or spending millions a year on our own brand keywords. We have a lot of clients that do this and I actually recommend against this a lot, but you'll need to have a few things you're measuring first. So a lot of times when you bid heavily on your branded terms, you get a lot of new traffic that is coming in from other efforts of finding out about you, or you're spending too much on returning users. Both are driving up your CAC, your cost per acquired customer. People aren't just going to randomly Google a brand name because they just thought of it one day. They had to have heard about it somewhere else. So the more ad spend you put in, you have to think about, you're also adding that on top of the, all the other information. A $10 cost per acquisition in Google on brand and a $40 cost per acquisition on Facebook is actually a $50 cost per acquisition when you add those two together. And I'm using very simplistic terms here. The less you spend on brand, the more it will come back through direct and organic. The, what you have to know your numbers well enough to know is if I took $50,000 a month out of my brand, do I lose less than $50,000 a month in my direct and organic? Or is the increase 48, but I spent 50 less. Okay, so now I'm saving a whole bunch of money here. What the losses of to your competitors often is not that much. Usually I find that I can pretty much pull out a brand 80% and lose about five to 10%, maybe. You will lose some. 
that's a guarantee. You will lose some to your competitors. The revenue lost smaller than what you were spending. All you did then is reduce your CAC. Now on the flip side of that, taking that $50,000 a month out, putting that into cold traffic campaigns, for example, obviously discover YouTube, GSP display, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. you're going to find that the $50,000 that you were just adding on top of people that were probably gonna buy from you anyway, you can actually increase your traffic and a higher CPA on the cold traffic than you were finding a CPA on that branded first time user. It's really interesting and every case is unique. One client, I have a $1.32 CAC on my brand, cost per card to customer, because it's not coming there. On the other one, it's 278 because that's the last step in the funnel that is really, really expensive because it's like people just Google the brand name all the time. No new customers are coming in. Once in a while, they slip through. My cost of acquiring new customers astronomical. I'm like, doesn't make sense to spend there. It's cheaper to go find cold traffic than it is to try to find a new customer in my brand. So your situation is going to have to be solely unique. You have to look at every single channel. You have to look at the cross attribution between those channels. You have to look at what loss is from brand if you weren't spending on brand, which has only been only can be had through testing. Don't focus on too many things and, and think about your own real life here in this scenario where you're like, hey, I need to buy a third shirt. And you go to Google and you're like, I love these shirts. I'm gonna go buy a third shirt. And you see someone else, you're like, well, I hate those shirts now. Who are they? It doesn't happen as often as people are like, no, I just need to go back to this website and order another one. So identify how much new traffic is coming from your brand, why, what the cost is of that. And then where it's coming from originally in like a top conversion path, Northbeam is great for this. And then identify, am I overspending just to protect my brand name that I wouldn't have actually lost? If I turn it off, will it come back through direct and organic? John Rolo. John Rolo says, you guys have said this before, and I've now seen myself, especially performance max, that adjusting budgets up and down seasonally does not scale well. How about small daily adjustments? He goes on to say, a few dollars up or down. Will that send campaigns into learning? No, we'll send them into learning. We'll send PMAX campaigns into learning? Not back into like a learning mode where all of a sudden okay. you just budget down a few bucks and it's like learning. That isn't happening in PMAX one-tenth of the time that would happen in a normal campaign. Double the budget says, well, learning. I mean, I've doubled budgets from like $1,000 to $2,000 a day and it still hasn't happened. Very rarely does it happen. I've only really actually seen PMAX that I can remember happening when you change a bidding strategy. That's a big reset. So if you started on maximized conversions and you switched over to maximized conversion value, you're going to dip for two weeks. It sucks. For seasonality, can you pull that first question up? Nope. Especially performance max that adjusting budgets up and down seasonally does not scale well. I disagree. If you're talking about like, hey, my busy season's coming up, start to scale up. No, that happens really well. We even predicted a performance max pullback with a client because we said, hey, it's after Father's Day, we're going to start to see a sales decline. I'm like, well, maybe let's see. Sales still decline, I had to pull back PMAX. We kept it above a specific goal, but I got to whittle down my daily ad spend every other day, just to make sure that I'm still keeping the same row as during that pullback. The first year of running this, but we just figured, hey, seasonality for this type of product is usually, and yes, it was correct, but it was able to scale right up to that point, just as easily as we did on Smart Shop or even Search and DSA the previous year. So yeah, you can scale up and down seasonality with PMAX very, very easy because it is still DSA, and then there's still smart shopping in there. So just know that new customer acquisition might be harder in the off season, which is why it can't scale to that goal very well, but you're still earning those users for that next year. You're going to have a better ramp up. Theodore, any tips for promoting a business that sells backlinks and does SEO services? Yeah. Cosm, you want to take this one? I think I have a business for backlinks that I love. I have a couple for backlinks that I love. Yeah. But if you want to promote the backlink business, that's the problem is... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I read that wrong. No, that's okay. So here's the issue is backlinks are... I think I'm going to 
go out on a limb and say, technically black hat now. If you're doing backlink promotion, you're raising your hand and asking for a level of penalization that could be catastrophically damaging to anybody that engages with you. So as far as whether or not you want to show up on Google's radar by using Google services to promote backlinks, I don't think I would use those words. Even if you're able to sneak them into your ad copy or landing pages, I would stay away from that. I would stay with SEO generic services, you know, rank high, increase traffic, increase visibility, et cetera. And then after you're engaged, now you can tell them that, hey, SEO is really just quality content backlinks. Yeah. Gain organic visibility, those kind of things. I wouldn't, if I were you, what I would do is for promotion, there's already a ton of inbound search traffic for that. I do exactly. a ton of inbound. Oh my God. Yeah. I do this very simple, my opinion, but three campaigns, a search campaign, a DSA campaign, a dynamic remarketing campaign, those three focusing on phrase and exact in your search campaign, leave DSA only targeting the landing page that you want to in your dynamic ad targets. Make sure you have a display remarketing. That's at least 20% of your overall budget, but bid high and manual CPC to start and then switch to an automated bidding strategy. That makes sense of it. If you need to. So, Another idea inside of the search campaign is if you ran a competitor campaign, because you've got SEO.co, Audience Bloom, Posi Rank, The Hoth, you can just go target all the backlink builders that you know are already doing this. I would try that secondary for sure, because you have all those people that are just going to go there and make a reorder that might accidentally click on your ad if you're above them and you get the high bounce rates. But my opinion, if I was to take, which is good, a competitor campaign. Uh, the only thing I hate about competitors campaign is you always get a horrible quality score because you're not them. Yeah. I was just going to say on the reorder, what if you just made your site look a lot like their site? Foz.com. I don't know. Yeah. Why. That's so funny. Here we go. Remax is a good option. I sometimes consider this as Google's distraction and making people lazy and deliberately not choosing the other available strategies that will work at the lowest cost for a brand with more control, like you mentioned about fashion. Pmax is good. I would still always use a Pmax campaign, whether it's as a secondary low spend option, because here's something that you're going to see on our YouTube channel soon is if you're measuring Pmax by how the ROAS is instead of Google, you're missing half the story. You need to look at your analytics. Look yeah, at that needs Google. to be on a t-shirt real quick. Say it again. If you're measuring Pmax by the ROAS instead of Google, you're missing half the story. Yeah. If you're measuring Pmax by the ROAS in, in your Google ads account, you're missing half the story. And here's the reason why. And everyone I think here would agree. Pmax is heavy YouTube GSP display discover. It is. There's a lot of traffic out there. That's why when you see tens of thousands of clicks and millions of impressions and your conversion rate sucks is just because you're doing a lot of outbound marketing. Anyone that's that has done Google ads for a long time knows that if you didn't run a brand, you didn't run a search campaign, you didn't run a remarketing campaign, and you did heavy YouTube and display, you're going to see your organic and your direct analytics rise. You're not going to give all of that attribution to those channels. Anybody that runs YouTube here on in Google ads knows that your YouTube is doing better than what your YouTube says. It's, it happens every single time because they don't click on a YouTube ad and buy. If your brand campaign is not maxed out, they're coming into other channels because it's a non-click based conversion that happened that never interacted on a click basis to Google ads. So what happens is when you look at your analytics, anybody that's running Pmax right now, I challenge you to do this. Hop in your analytics, look at the date range of when your Google ads performance max campaign started to yesterday, compare that to the previous period. And if nothing else has changed drastically in your company, look at your organic and your direct and your referral along with your email and then your pay search. You see pay search sometimes go up a little bit, but then direct went up by 40, organic went up by 72%, email signups went up. Even if your emails have less open rate, you have a better conversion rate. Look at everything because Pmax is running display YouTube GSP and discovery. They are doing heavy outbound just because you didn't click on one of the six YouTube ads does not mean they didn't come back to the site or come to the site directly organically and purchase. So look at everything and understand that Pmax, yes, it's automated, but from the outbound campaigns, you're not going to beat them manually. You won't. My mm. automated videos inside of Pmax get a 50 to 60% view rate. When I did it myself, I got 38. I still beat the average, but they doubled mine. So just know that you're getting 
nothing more than what you're seeing in the same way that if you run a heavy YouTube ad, you're not just going to be like, well, YouTube says it looks bad. Well, when you're directing organic blow through the roof, you're like, well, duh, of course it came from YouTube, but you're not applying performance max for some reason. Why not? It's still happening. What I heard John say was you will never win. <laughs> scary. John Rolo, are bidding strategy names misleading? For example, if I have a campaign that has max conversions and it gets 20 conversions and I switch the campaign to target realize and get 25 at the same budget, how is the max conversion campaign maximizing conversions? <laughs> I'm trying to get philosophical. Just would like to hear the Google. How about this? And this might be fun. Let's talk about the same exact scenario in three months if it didn't change. My opinion would be it would go from 20 to 25 to 21, to 18, to 12, to nine. Your ROA is gonna look fantastic. Your CPA is gonna get there, but the volume is going to start to decay. It will. You, What you've done is saying, hey, Google, you already know these audiences. Now only focus on those audiences, but pay less per click because you know that they're going to convert. So you're only showing up when you know they convert. Well, I don't have to spend $10 three times. I gotta spend six bucks once on Cosm. What happens when you drop your CPCs? You get more clicks. What happens when you get more clicks on really audiences that you're going after, you get more sales. That starts to decay over time. So it's taking less clicks at lower CPCs and that's reason why you'll get more for your daily ad spend arms of andy's would youtube videos also work well for fashion brands yes here's the thing yes in real life horrible on google actually i have a good use case here can i share my screen here yeah i have too many tabs okay you sounded very midwestern just then oh my goodness look at all my tabs theory so tell me when you all see this because i can't uh, see it looking at it okay so here's the last 14 days on just youtube and here's what's funny is inside of the youtube ads my youtube top of funnel i spent 14 grand to make 7300 that is a terrible row as really really horrible at, at 0.52 man that stinks this is with click and views though if i went with what google said that i made that same exact scenario just not counting the people that saw the youtube ad and came back directly or organically and did not click on that YouTube ad, it looks much, much, much worse. And so here's what you'll see now. That same exact scenario says, okay, so you spent 14 grand to make 600 bucks. This is what Google's gonna tell you. You spent 14 grand to make $600, a 0.05 ROAS. Man, that is terrible. So 0.05, bad, right? But a 0.52, okay, well, that's 10 times better than what I thought was actually happening. Now, this isn't in by any means good. Like, I'm not focusing on ROAS positive YouTube. No, it's just the delta between the two. Right. But now if you look at last like seven days, it's still holding. So if I can say, are you happy with gaining half the Aspen back directly on a YouTube video? Yeah, I'm okay with that. I'll, I'll make sure that I mitigate any sort of loss. Actually, by the way, this is really important to know. This is $6,900 in spend and $3,500 of just first time users. I mean, there are a thousand on returning users. Mm. So this is 0 0.50 on brand new customers. I have a hundred dollar cost of acquiring a new customer solely on YouTube. And if you've got a solid LTV, I'll pay that all day, every day. Exactly. Now, if you said, well, what does Google say my cost of acquiring a new customer is? Then you look at, well, if you're an agency and your client comes to you and says, holy crap, you know, Cosm, I cannot afford to spend $868 cost of acquiring a new customer. Well, no, no, no. That's what Google says. But if you count the people that saw the ad and then came to our website after seeing it six times, yeah, it's a hundred bucks. So when you look at, will YouTube work? According to Google, no. In real life, yes. That's so funny. This is the same thing that happens in Pmax, though, too. Just you have to understand that. Mike Griffin, is there a way to upper cost per funnel steps in the columns inside the Google Ads interface? I think he's like trying to say, is it cost me X amount for top of funnel, X amount for middle, X amount up for bottom? Is there a way to upper? I see Mike still. I've been running Pmax campaign if you did day of 16. Uh, Mike, can you clarify that question and then we'll come back to you? Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, we have John Rolo. Interesting about PMAX scaling well for you guys. Maybe the problem for me was what I had was that I had made other changes to the campaign, like bid strategy change around the same time as raised budgets. 
Yeah, if you change bidding strategy and performance max, you'll kill the campaign for two weeks. I have one really high performing, really high spending account that I cannot use now. New customer acquisition increases because it's not a value-based bidding strategy. I'm not using a VBB. I'm using maximized conversions, but I'm stuck. $20,000 a day. And if I change it over, I can't tell the clients, hey, just hemorrhage cash for two weeks. They, they will freak out. I'm stuck. I'm trapped. One Korea, does changing a conversion goal put Google back in a learning mode in a maximized conversion campaign? Yes. Yeah. Changing a conversion goal, not every time, very frequently though. Juan Jazami. Hey guys, how do you approach max campaigns for e-commerce that don't have a proper category in the Google taxonomy? For example, I'm running ads for 3D printing resins manufacturing. You're still going to have to kind of contend with the fact that Google will just not have that. It's not the end of the world, but what I would do is really focus on your feed quality. So make sure your titles, your descriptions, everything that can be supportive on that page, your site. And when I say title descriptions, your site title, your product title and your product descriptions, but also your page title, your page descriptions, your H1 through H6 tags, your schema markup, your alt image tags. Make sure Google really knows exactly what's on that page because that's going to leverage what it can leverage inside of the categories. Mike Griffin, I've been running a PMAX campaign at $50 a day for about six weeks now. It's at 5X ROAS. The target is 3X. Should I scale it down? If so, how do you recommend I do? If you're doing $50 a day, six weeks, and you're getting five, and the target is three. I need to clarify one thing. Are you using a target ROAS of 3X and getting a five, or you want three and you're getting five? Is there an actual target that says three, or you just, that's what you're hoping for? Please clarify that because that's actually going to change my answer. I actually prefer that method. This comes from a Facebook user, Karan Parwani. You guys deserve to have a superhero movie. P-Max X-Men. That's so funny. I'd be rogue. I have the hair. You know what I thought was really funny is who's the guy in the wheelchair? P-Max only charges us for clicks. Yes. Wait, hold on. If P-Max is running YouTube, then you could be charged per view. It's interesting. My clicks have never not started at the time of my view and I get a cost per engagement, but I get clicks at the same time. So actually to backtrack, I don't know. I've never had a view come in without a click at the same time period. Interesting. Channels. Interesting. Mike Griffin says, sorry, I meant up end. Uh, Autocorrect is going crazy. So I'm going to go back to Mike's original comment, pull it up and we will find and replace. Sean <laughs> is going to Marvel. Is there a way to up end cost per funnel steps into columns inside the Google ads interface? I have an idea, which would be secondary conversion actions with conversion value. If you have secondary conversion actions at every stage of the funnel and you have a conversion value, then you can segment by conversion action and give yourself a funnel effectively. So you'd count it as a secondary conversion action, then use costs of all conversions. Just <laughs> all conversions. Now it's you're too gonna hard have for you to say Cossum's right. It's just not in you. <laughs> You're 100% right. You got it. The only thing is when you use that method that both Tassim and I thought of. When you use our trick. I, I just got here. What's going on? Oh, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> you have to, it's actually not going to give you a cost per conversion inside of it, but you're going to have to consent with the fact that you had a group of ads that developed a group of conversions. And if you had to say, well, if I spend $100 and got a contact form, a sign up, and a call, it's going to say $33.33 each. So you're actually not going to be able to say, did I have X going to this individual conversion action only? It just, that's what it was divided out. However, if you did have these funnel steps individual campaigns, then yes. Then you can say, hey, this is going to this landing page, only tracking this conversion action. And then the people that converted there go into a list. And then my next campaign is only targeting that list to push them through the next step. Then yeah, you just take your CPA by campaign. Sean GG for tofu YouTube campaigns. Do you, what is it? I see the smirk. You're like, all right, Chen. I got you. For tofu YouTube campaigns, do you guys use CPA, CPM, or CPV? CPA. The reason why, and it's probably a bad reason, for is tofu. Like with purchase intent. So what mm. I like to do is if I can introduce myself with a YouTube ad that's really close to a person that has highest amount of intent, it 
might cost me a few pennies more. Like my average cost per view is like four to six cents. It might be one to two cents if I use CPM. However, I noticed that the quality that comes back inside of either A, that YouTube campaign or B, directly organically happens a lot less if I go too away from intent. So what I'm looking for is like, I know Cosm doesn't know me, but I know Cosm really wants something. That's going to be a targeted cost per acquisition because I know Cosm is going to convert hopefully with me. So all I have to do is just say, hey, I know that you have a need. You've seen my product. It's like, well, crap, that's exactly what I've been looking for. That's what I'm hoping it catalyzes. So Mike came back and clarified. He said a three is just our internal target for profitability. Got it. Then I would actually start to scale $10 per day per week. So 50 next week to $60 a day, next week to $70 a day. Whatever your time lag is, don't look in that window. So if you have a seven day time lag on day eight, look at day one. Just remember that. One Korea. I run an experiment and after turning off the experiment, my conversion rate has dropped like crazy. Any ideas why? Honestly, my opinion, this is the third time this has happened, no joke, this week. And I think we have a, another gentleman that might be watching. I won't say his name or anything like that. But there was an experiment. He goes, hey, I'm going to run an experiment. And this was an experiment actually on a landing page experiment. Mike, I can think of like 27 reasons why this isn't going to work well. And I'm like, but let's try because let's see what happens. And it cut his his sales by like 70% because we ran on like an A-B test on a page and said, hey, this page actually worked better. Well, when we stuck to that page, Google has just like, okay, well, that best-selling product is not my product anymore. Everything changed. So depending upon what the experiment was and if you're running an experiment inside of Google ads, you should have the experiment AB test results. Like experiment A was X, experiment B was Y. Now here's my problem with everything that has to do with ever AB test or experiment in existence is no one can tell me, okay, when I ran this experiment, I had 80% of the users start into here that have already been warmed up for the last 14 days. Cool. And nothing matters anymore. Warm up traffic, then change the game and then change it back and see what happened. If you're looking at time lags of 21 days, if you're looking at seven visits, to a sale. If you're looking at, I'm also running you, uh, you know, Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and LinkedIn. I can tell you that no one is going to run an A/B test. You're taking a 21-step funnel, making a small change on step 17, and be like, everything's perfect now. It's that doesn't. That's not how the world works. So I don't use experiments ever. For that reason, I need consistency, and I need to change. I need my changes deliberate from when I know I started marketing to a specific person to when I know they should convert, and then track that along a longitudinal, almost like a Gantt chart, like a longitudinal study. So I'm anti everything of testing because we're taking like old school single one click to one squeeze page to one conversion thought process and then trying to make that omni channel not gonna work yeah you can only test something if you can control all the variables involved and then you can test a variable no such thing as a split test anymore exactly chris rains have you seen pmax work with video assets that aren't necessarily the typical youtube pre-roll like super focused on the first five seconds hand waving and all that have you seen pmax work with yeah what's funny is i have to share my screen actually <laughs> Uh, but if you're asking if I've seen it, yes. Kasim, can you tell me when everyone can see this? I forgot I have to enable it. Okay. Can you see my screen? Yep, looking at it. So I got a 54% view rate. I get 44,000 views in this YouTube campaign. It's working really well. And I'm getting great engagement. Average view rate on YouTube, if I remember correctly, is 31.9%. For average YouTube, 31.9%. So what this means is that my 31.9%, I'm getting a 54.81. These are little automated videos. This is Google's driven videos. What I found is that it's not necessarily the video. It's the audience. So the combinations of my winning assets, these are the ones that you'll see are like those little automated videos. Because my asset group, actually, I don't have videos. Each one of my asset group, you'll, you'll see like five videos. I have no videos in this at all. What I found is that when I've launched PMAX, the, the YouTube campaigns 
they're going to the proper audience. And this is probably going against every guru that's ever said anything. So I'm probably the person in the wrong. A quality product to a person that's interested in that quality product, it matters more than hand-waving in the first five seconds. So your targeting is 90% of the battle. Your messaging is 10. That's my opinion. And that's how I've been running these things for years. So I find that if an automated stupid little video with it sounds like a kid slam the hand on the keyboard to like little PowerPoint presentations, I'm doubling people's views. Does that mean that my audience just loves PowerPoint presentations? No, it means that they're interested in those products. That's my opinion. Yeah, that's such a great point. People aren't lemming. Stop treating people like they're stupid. If you show them something they're interested in, they'll be interested in if you don't. They're... It's not to say that you can't improve like right. engagement rate or whatever, but just that's not the thing. Yeah, it's not. You didn't take a crap audience with an awesome video and then just make everyone want board shorts that day. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Arms of Andes, for the band brand you mentioned, do you just run PMAX school by itself in that case? Or do you also recommend running it with other mediums like Facebook? No, I recommend running it with Facebook as well. Now, this particular campaign has just nothing but pure cold traffic. My brand campaign, I spent like a hundred bucks, make 16 grand a week. The brand is amazing, but the cold traffic search campaigns are very particular. So I'm not going to say the brand and sometimes I say the band name, but for example, if you had something, let's say kiss and it says kiss blazer, kiss apparel, kiss shorts, kiss shirts. It's like I'm winning everywhere. A, because I'm probably only one of the people that's actually doing well at Google Ads marketing of that brand of any of our competitors. But if you're like, is there a person that makes like a kiss tongue sh or a kiss like tongue with a tie and a t-shirt? And it's like, yes. And we have three of them. You're like, perfect. Like I'm winning so well because we've found a niche that works well. Now with fashion brands, if you're just like sundress, I think you're honestly going to have better luck on Facebook. That's just my opinion. It's hard because unless you have like a ton of people that are like, there's just no one that sells sundresses. I'm in that position because no one else sells the type of band apparel that he does. It's upscales to an older demographic that has the ad, has the money to buy these nice products because that band was famous in the eighties. So it's like, yeah, are you interested in this awesome rock band that is legendary and are now a 55 year old professional? professional that wants a blazer with a small little logo right here that's very tasteful on the collar, that's my buyer. So the niche works there. But if you're running non-niche, I honestly think that you might have better luck on Facebook and Instagram. Not to say it can't be done, but you're using possibly one of the longest sales cycles and most expensive tools to build that LTV. So be prepared to blow a million bucks year one to build that following on Google, to build that algorithm on Google to find those people. It's that competitive. John Rolo. Have you guys been doing ads for any brick and mortars lately? Have you still been yeah. running local? Or are you planning on transitioning to PMAX? I'm holding on as long as I can. Local is amazing. I love local for brick and mortar. It is so good. I still say that a local campaign combined with a broad match search campaign local is the bee's knees for brick and mortar, but don't underestimate the halo effect that local has. When you're found everywhere on maps and YouTube and discovery and search all for your GMB in a small little profile, like that's costing you sub 20 cents per click is powerful. And you can then track when they show up, but it's fun. I'll do them now. It's gonna take a small snapshot. I don't wanna give away the clients. What's up? While you're doing that, I'm gonna shout out our new members. Yeah. John Korea just joined. Juan Korea, Juan Jazami, Chris Rains. Dixie, Normus. And if it's not a bond, sorry about it. Anyway, because it's something you would do. <laughs> you gave me the idea, didn't you? All right, I'm going to pull up. Let's do this here. And okay, I'm almost done, everyone. I promise. Give me just one moment. It's going to be worth it. That was the worst line in The Expendables. It's when Jason Statham throws the girl on the back of the bike after beating up all her boyfriends. And he goes, you should have waited for me. I was worth it. I was like, what? Who wrote this? The writer's probably like, that's the wrong scene. You said the wrong part. <laughs>
You said her lines. So you're going to see a name here. That's okay. But this is a local campaign. This is like, I'm only spending $25 a day. This is the last 30 days. I spent $536. The I'm using all conversions because I don't want to count all of these as a conversion because there's a bunch of local actions. But for 536 bucks, I got 21 phone calls. 69 people that click driving directions, 40 people that viewed the menu from Google My Business of their restaurant, 15 orders through the Google My Business order through Google Now, 142 people that did some other action. I can't tell exactly what that is. 26 people clicked on it, went to the website, $316 placed an order from the website's order through our delivery, not the Google My Business, and then 1,580 people showed up for 536 bucks. Same thing with this other company, $434. They had 31 phone calls, 33 people driving directions, 13 orders online, 924 website orders, and 1,000 people show up. So if you can say, hey, what campaign can I spend like 500 bucks and just get that doesn't exist. They're amazing. They're really, really amazing. Now, this is restaurants, so it works really well. But you spend a thousand bucks a month, and that's sometimes worth 20 grand on a search campaign, honestly. Dave Fogel. Hey, Dave. Hey, Dave. John, I'm running a very expensive campaign that is very high CPC, and Google's hiding 50% of the clicks on me in search terms. Is there any way to get that info? Not really. I've been running into the same issue. What about that thing Michael Madeline did with the Google Analytics? Yeah, that one pulled in the search keyword, didn't pull up the search term. And, and it wasn't was a ton either, but he was able to weasel out like another 10% or something. Yeah, I don't know well enough to recreate and show us that. I've got a video on it. So on YouTube, Dave, if you want to go track it down. Perfect. But honestly, there's there's really not. Here's what I would actually make a recommendation for, though, is if that is happening and you have some... Not a warm welcome for me. He said, yeah, Dave, if you're wanting to. It's a risk. I've tried it twice this last week with high rewards, though. Take all of your exact match search keywords and then turn them broad. What I found is that Google has matches that are so far and widely different than what I thought was going to show up that they hit it from the search terms because they weren't relevant at all, but people were converting on it. Well, that's interesting. Google knows who these people are better than I do. So I took all of the campaigns. I've duplicated them with the different match types. So I still kept mine. I didn't just change them. I hit where it says, hey, would change match types. And it's like, would you like to keep the original ones? Hit yes create new ones. What I found is that the keywords I was going after in the search terms that I was actually getting were, they were close, but nowhere in phrase and exact match close. So then I started to see a lot more a, a conversions, cheaper CPCs, higher volume of conversions, but D I was like, Oh, these are so far and wide. I'm going to leave this broad because no two search terms are the same, but I'm capturing a lot more. If you want to run the test, you can. It was dangerous. It was a 15 mile race for a medical center about a procedure. And I thought that procedure name was going to be good, but nope, I was wrong. Like it was weird, but it worked. We got 10 minutes left. You want to do rapid fire? And we're always on rapid fire. Brett Nelson, PMAX campaign target 300% ROAS. It's just under a 276% ROAS after one month. Google wants more money for budget. It's testing my ROAS in 10. Yes. I honestly would just hang tight there for at least another 30 days if you can. I've increased ad spend on Google when it says limited by budget and then it didn't spend the budget and then I turned off the T row as too early and then I shot myself in the foot and have to redo it all over. My opinion is if you are running one month and you already have a target row as on there, hang tight for another month, then turn it off. If you're spending the same amount of budget that you're trying to, like you're trying to spend $300 and you're spending $300, keep that on. And then if you, then what I would do is start to scale after that, but I wouldn't scale with T row as on. I would actually see, is it holding tight? Which means, Hey, there's a lot more traffic here than what he could have had. So by removing the T row as a lot of times it just would start to test audience that it doesn't think is going to convert, but then they convert. And all of a sudden you actually start to see better performance without a T row as John Rolo, just for clarification, John, when you do scale a PMAX campaign seasonally, are you doing it all at once or over the course of 
days and weeks? Would it screw things up to double or triple the budget in one day? I usually start to scale up pretty aggressively three weeks before I plan or before I expect to see the scale. So if it's like, hey, we're January 1, starting February 1, we're going to see a good lift. Okay, so January 1 is going to be $1,000 a week. January 7 is going to be $2,000 that week, then $3,000 a week, and then $4,000 a week afterwards. So as soon as February 1 hits, I'm at $4,000, but I'm going to warming up the traffic. So I should start to see those conversions happen quicker in the beginning. Well, and Jazami, for lead gen with PMAX, what's the point of separating asset groups by type of signal if I don't have any way to know which asset group is working? You don't. It goes on to say, with e-com, you can look at the listing groups, but there's nothing for lead gen yet that you can use to identify best performers. You really don't. I actually would separate them out by campaign, not by asset group for lead gen. But if you wanted to put a bunch of asset groups together, what you can do is go in your search categories, click on the first search category that had the most amount of sales, click on like where it says 14 asset groups, click on 14 asset groups, and it'll tell you this asset group delivered you 12 conversions, then two, and then one. And you can actually see the best asset group that delivered you the most amount of conversions in lead generation. Now that's only for DSA. It sometimes changes too quickly. Juan Korea, best way to upgrade a landing page for an ad group without killing it, or am I going to have to pull a Will Smith with a dog and I am legend? He kills the dog if you haven't. Spoiler alert. That was a great one. Best way to upgrade a landing page for an ad group. For an ad group or for asset group? If it's for ad group, you're good to go. If it's asset group, no. Upgrade a landing page. What happens is Google is taking that page that it knows it's supposed to say, and it's using it to learn. So if you change that landing page, it sometimes happens in an A-B test. It says, well, the title used to be this, the description used to be this, it used to have this image, it used to have the video. And used to... So this is a new page. Okay, well, I got to find new traffic. It's like, I just threw out the old, the people I've been warming up. So if it's for a manual CPC and a search campaign, you can do whatever you want. But if you're using heavy algorithmic learning and watching of a page and then changing it, don't. My opinion would be to make small minor modifications very slowly. I make sure you're not obstructing what the core source view of that page is. So make sure your your titles, your descriptions, H136, all tag, all that SEO stuff stays the same if you want to make some modifications because the code is what's Google watching Google's watching and that delivers you the good traffic. Sean GG. We're using a cool YouTube campaign funnel, Tofu, CPB, YouTube viewers, max conversion, website visitor, TCPA, to LTV, TCPA. Northbeam shows great results. Have you tried this? So Tofu, cost top per of the funnel, cost per view, two YouTube viewers, maximize conversions, two website visitors, target CPA, two LTV. My question is, are you only counting the website visitors that were from clicks from YouTube viewers? My only thing in my mind would be if you're using website visitors with TCPA, is there remarketing happening there from other channels? Mike Griffin, any idea how affiliate sites that drive revenue from Amazon affiliates like Best Reviews do attribution since they can't track affiliate sales on Amazon via Google Ads tag? Any idea how affiliate sites that drive revenue from Amazon? They're all MLM scams, to be honest with you, man. So they're probably using Amazon Attribution Beta. So Amazon Attribution Beta allows you to create a URL that you use in your ads. And then Amazon will say, yeah, that YouTube ad that you drove using that link resulted in X amount of sales. Dave says, damn, not a warm welcome for me. Dave, I thought you could take a ribbing. That's when you know we're friends. Dave says, mine never shows how many people showed up. Is there a trick to that? I thought it's based on their phone telling here they are. Yes. Yeah, so you have to have a minimum viable amount of number of people who visit that you cannot see and that you cannot equate to in real life. So if you had like seven people show up, Google's not going to say seven because you're like, oh, well, those are those seven people. We violated the privacy. And they won't tell me what the minimum amount is. I think it's somewhere around once you get over 150 to 200 people that show up in a one month time period, that it starts to count because it's like, okay, now you can't tell who showed up when if you even mm. if you by day. So it's a minimum number. I don't know what that is. They won't tell us. Dixie enormous. I've started a performance max campaign and it's been running for a month inside the listing groups. I can see two products doing really well. Should I build out another campaign just using those products in the listing group in the new campaign and just use copy around those two products or 
Would a better idea be build out standard shopping campaign targeting those products and a DSA using the landing page on those products? Is the- I would do a DSA. Anytime that you add different performance, anytime you overlap the products and performance max, they the natural ebb and flow of traffic that is going to convert just by chance happens to land on whatever campaign that had the most amount of ad spend that day. So it's really hard to funnel in performance max because it's like three pit bulls that are really hungry for something. And then you put one snack down, whoever makes their first wins. There's no reason. So even if the name is drawn on the side, like this is Rockies. He's not, Rocky's not going to get it. But it's always just dependent upon which campaign. So I would actually build into it with a DSA and, and standard shopping campaign because what that's going to do is start to have your performance max campaign start to go and find those people as well because it sees that traffic coming in. Ryan Huron saying that we missed his question. Ryan, I don't have your question in my restream thread. I wonder if it's on YouTube. Ryan says, I sent a question earlier about some branded campaign pains. Not sure if you have time to answer it. I have a call starting in a minute. Sorry, buddy. If you can, Cosmo, if you do find it, email it to me because I'll fire it off or I'll make a video about it. Right. Actually, I'm looking at the YouTube chat too. Ryan, do me a favor. Do a control F on YouTube. Just so you don't think we're make, ignoring you. All I see is welcome back guys. PSM, a real life Florida man. And then you saying I sent in a question earlier. Yeah, sorry if I didn't see it. But one thing too, Sean GG says all website visitors from everywhere. Sean, one thing that I would dive into is that you kind of have a funnel warming up some traffic and then you're doing a blanket remarketing campaign for all channels. So click and views on Northbeam are going to look really good, but it may not be from those original people that you're going after. There's definitely going to be overlap, but my opinion would be, you might've just said like, Hey, with this warm up. And then there's a bunch of people in there that repeat purchases also possibly from Facebook and, and anywhere else in organic. I don't know. My opinion would just be examine that funnel for holes. I think too. Thanks for listening to the Google Ads Podcast. For more ways to grow your business with Google Ads, you can subscribe to the Solutions 8 YouTube channel. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you'd like to work with the best Google Ads agency in the world, you can visit Solutions 8 at sol8.com. Custom here. If you're running Google Ads, even if your campaigns are successful, my years of experience have taught me that there are almost always enormous improvement opportunities. Now, what if the best Google Ads agency in the world was willing to review your Google Ads campaigns for free and provide you with a comprehensive action plan, no cost or obligation? Notice, I didn't say audit or evaluation. I said action plan, a bullet point by bullet point breakdown of exactly what needs to be done to improve your Google Ads campaigns. Yours to keep, no cost or obligation. Head over to solate.com to get a free Google Ads action plan customized for your business. No strings attached. That's S-O-L-8.com. S-O-L, the number 8.com.